Welcome to Gracious Words. Gracious Words is taken from the weekly women's Bible study taught by Cheryl Broderson at Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California. We behold your glory, God, in the face of Christ. It shows us who you are, revealing who you are. Trust is something we all deal with in life. We are challenged to give it and struggle to gain it. On today's program, we are going to look at trust and see how it helps us grow in our relationship with God and others. part one of Cheryl's message titled, A God You Can Trust. So I would say that we all have trust issues. And it's only right that we have trust issues because we live in an environment where it's very difficult to trust. So I remember when we lived in England, um, my youngest son, Braden, I think he was about eight or nine years old and he had to use the restroom. You know how that used to be? You just take in the boys' restroom, they used to be able to go in, but now you can't just do that, Right. And he knows the drill, or he did. So I see a couple of men come out of the restroom and they look kind of shaken up after Braden's gone in there. And then Braden comes out and he goes, Mom, you'd be so proud. I glared at all of them and gave them the dirtiest looks and just looked so tough and menacing at them. I'm like, great, good. But you know, it was for his own protection. Here's my little treasure. And I have to, you know, I have to worry about him when he just needs to go in and relieve himself. You know, there are trust issues and it's only prudent to respond by locking our doors, hiding our passwords, distrusting phone solicitors, right? My mother-in-law had a, um, a voice that called her phone and said, Grandma. And she said, Michael. Yeah, it's Michael, Grandma. If I don't get $5,000 right away, this is what's going to happen. And my sweet mother-in-law sent money. And it wasn't her grandson, Michael, at all. She got conned. Um, she ended up calling the police. A week later, they called back and she said, I know who you are. My mother-in-law is like precious beyond precious. And, you know, I know who you are and I don't have extra money and you should be ashamed of yourself. You know, the rest of us would be like, ah, stay on the line, I'm gonna get you. But no, she's gonna share Jesus with him because he needs it because he just stole $5,000. And you know what he said? Ha, 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 gotcha. And hung up on her. We live in that kind of world, don't we? You know, I've had my, um, my ATM card, whatever you call it, debit card, copied twice. I don't know who did it. And they've stolen over $1,500 on two different occasions out of my bank account. I think they go, there's that woman. She's a real easy mark. Just get her. Twice. Twice. So you know what I'm doing? I'm covering my thing, trying to get shield protectors on everything. Is it any wonder that we struggle with trust today? 
Any wonder when this is the world and the atmosphere we live in? So who do you trust? Who can you trust? Well, we usually trust those we know best. We trust those who have proved their integrity to us, that they are trustworthy. We trust those who show that they have the ability to help, the ability to protect. We trust those who love us. We know that they have our best interests in mind. These are the people we trust. But many people have trouble trusting God. Partially because they transfer all their insecurities about men and about the world and people who have hurt them onto God. As Martha said to God in Luke chapter 10, Lord, don't you care? My sister has left me to serve all alone. Or as the disciples in the gospel of Mark when they encountered the storm, Lord, don't you care? When something goes wrong in our life or it's not going as we want it to go, our first response is to say, I don't trust you. You let this happen. Where's the hedge of protection? Where's that almighty shield? Why did this happen to me? And we struggle with trust. May I suggest to you, that the true reason we struggle with trust is not so much the hurts and the pains of this world. That should be expected. But I believe that we struggle with trust, one, because we do not know our God. We do not know our God. We do not know the integrity of our God, the faithfulness of our God. We do not know the ability and power of our God. And we do not know how much and how deeply our God loves us. Genesis 1 and 2 is God's introduction to us that we might trust him. Galatians 1 and 2 clarify to us who God is, the word Elohim, And the covenant name Yahweh are both used in Genesis 1 and 2. So it tells us who God is. Secondly, it tells us what God has done. Thirdly, it tells us what God is like by what he has done. And finally, number four, it tells us God's original good intentions. So who is God? God is introduced as Elohim. This term can mean mighty God or almighty God. It's a universal term for God. It would be a term that an idolater, somebody worshiped images and idols would use. It would be something that the Egyptians might say of their false gods. It's a universal term, but it is telling us that our God, the God of the Bible, is above every other God. In that culture, at that time, Genesis 1 and 2 would have been like a slap in the face because we had these cultures that were polytheistic. They served many gods. 
And they would say to the people of Israel, you can't say that your God is the only God. And they'd get these bumper stickers with every religious symbol on it. And they'd put it on the back of their donkey or on the side of their camel. You can't say that that your God is better than the other gods. And so the revelation of the Bible is that this God is the God of gods. He's greater than every other concept of God. He is greater than every false God because of who he is and what he's done and what he's like and because of his good intentions. God's revelation of himself begins in chapters one and two. But as we find, even going through Genesis, we are going to find that God's revelation of himself is progressive. And even for you as a believer, you can keep growing and your progress as a believer happens the more and more and more and more and more that you know the Lord. Now, I got saved, I think, when I was two. But I did it again like when I was four and five just to make sure. I wanted it to take. I used to have this theory that the prayer either took or it did take. So if it didn't take, you had to do it again. That was my understanding under 10. And my father used to tell me Bible stories every night when he would do my devotions with me. My dad always did Bible stories. Mom, I might get Cinderella, I might get a princess story, or I might get a story about a little girl who was really beautiful, but she was really mean, so she turned ugly. Those were her kind of stories, moral stories by Kay Smith. I called them Irish moral stories because they always came with an Irish curse. But as a little girl, I began to know about the love of God, about the power of God, of the greatness of God. I began to know these things. I loved Sunday school. I loved the stories. I loved the Bible stories. I remember when I could first start reading the Bible for myself and it began to come alive. But I'm telling you, at almost 60, I am still growing. And there is still so much revelation, so much wonder. I have read the Bible probably 40 times through. And yet every time I go to the word, like even this morning, there was something fresh, something so revolutionary that God wanted to say to me. And I'll save it for another Bible study, but I'll give you a hint. It came from Luke chapter three. And I was like, what? It was awesome. But you know, it's progressive. It's progressive. It just gets bigger and bigger and bigger, the closer you get to it. You know, when you stand far off from the sun, it doesn't look that big, does it? You know, sometimes it just looks like, you know, like you could put a dime and block the sun. But the closer you get to it, the higher the mountain, the greater you realize the sun is. The more you read about it, the greater you realize the power of the sun is. So the more you know about God, it's progressive revelation. The greater he is, 
He's always been that great. But the more you come into that revelation, you realize that God's revelation of himself is also preeminent. This is the most important information, the most important subject matter, the most important person that you could possibly know. And this that we learn about God is life. It is life. And it is nourishment to our very being and soul. This that we learn about God is preeminent because it will change the way we think. It will change our outlook on everything. It will change our demeanor when things happen. Instead of falling apart and screaming and blaming people, The more we know about our God, the more we know our God, the more our demeanor will be like, wow, I wonder what God's going to do with this one. Amazing stuff. But this revelation of God is also permanent because it does not change. The God that we're looking at in Genesis 1 and 2 is the same God that when you pray, answers. It's the same God that listens to all your intercessions, all your pleas, all your complaints, and it's okay, process with God. It's the same powerful God. In Genesis 2, God is introduced as Yahweh Elohim the one recognized by the Israelites as their covenant God. In Exodus 3, 13 through 14, when Moses asked the Lord, wait, you want me to take the people of Israel out of Egypt and you want me to go to Pharaoh, the most powerful king that I know of in the world, and you want me to tell him, Let Israel go, and Israel's not necessarily sure that they want to go. How am I going to convince them? Who am I going to say you are? What am I supposed to tell them about you? And God says, tell them that I'm Yahweh. I am who I am. I am Yahweh. This is the covenant name. This is the name of recognition. God answers this covenant name. I am who I am. There is no one like him. It speaks about his uniqueness. He makes separations, light from darkness, day from night, waters from waters, dry land from waters. This is what this God is like. This is what this God does. Genesis is God's introduction of himself to both his people by Moses and to the world. So we begin with what has God done? Because the more we discover what God has done, the more we'll know about God. We learn that with the power of his word, power of his word and the brilliance of his mind, you know, before you speak, unless you're like me, you think about it. Brian says, did you think about that before you said it? I said, no, that's how I mix my metaphor. That's why I said they've got all their ducks in one basket. If I had taken the time to think about it, I would have said, 
They've got their eggs in one basket and ducks in one row. But I want to get this out. That's why I said, oh, they're all throwing their name into the bull ring. And Brian's like, I don't even know what to do with that one. But God conceives this. Just like you conceive something before you speak it, before you take action, God conceived all of creation in his mind and in his heart, and then he spoke it with his word. That's power. That's power. Think of what he created. He created light. He created cosmos or stars and moons and planets and orbits. He created whole systems. He created the world. He created time. He created luminaries. He created seas and atmospheres and plants, flora and fauna, shrubs and trees. He created birds. He created sea creatures, animals, large and tiny bacteria, amoeba. Genesis is not a detailed account of what God created or how God created it. It is the account that God created it. God. This was in God's mind. This was in God's heart. This is what God, Elohim, Yahweh, Elohim, spoke. What is God like? Well, Romans 1.20 tells us, for since the creation of the world, his invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even his eternal power and Godhead. In other words, Romans 1.20 is telling us that creation and the order of creation reveals to us God's character. It can be seen in his creation. So what do we learn? We learn that God is relational. How? Because he works in conjunction with the spirit and his word to bring forth light and life. Remember, it's the spirit that hovers over the great nothingness, preparing it for the word of God. And the spoken word is the agency of power and creativity to infuse the world with whatever God says. It's the agency of power and creativity. We learn that God is powerful. He speaks and it happens. Voids are filled. Chaos becomes orderly. Darkness is infused with light. We learn that God is holy. There is no one like this God. I said it earlier, he makes separations. Light from darkness, day from night, waters from waters, dry land from waters. We learn that he's orderly. He first creates the substance and then he fills it. Day one is light. Day four is the luminaries or the vessels that will be filled with light. Day two is sky and sea. Day five, the sky is filled with birds and the sea with sea creatures. Day three is land with seed and vegetation. Day six is land animals and mankind. We'll get more into that next week because I have something to say about that, but I don't want to spoil it, especially not when I'm caffeinated. We learn that God is purposeful. There is intention in all he creates. The light illuminates the darkness and creates days and nights. 
The water is able to cultivate the vegetation that will come. It is all leading to something. God is purposeful. God is intentional. God is good. Seven times God looks at his work and he says, it's good. It's good. That is the Hebrew word tov. Tov. It's beneficial. It's pleasant. It's valuable. It's pure or without fault or imperfection. We learn that God is creative. Who but God thought of suns and stars, moons and planets stretching across the vast universe and to find out that all these galaxies have shapes, different shapes. You know, I love Psalm 19 where it says it's his handiwork. You might crochet, you might embroider, but God shapes galaxies. God created waters, oceans, rivers, streams, mists, and springs. He created skies, moisture, and atmosphere to protect the earth and put layers in the atmosphere. He created land, dust, dirt, resplendent with minerals and vitamins, nutrients. He created vegetation with seeds so it could reproduce itself and be used for food. He created birds in all their varieties, winged, hollow-boned, ability to fly, egg-laying, and this is my favorite, singers. Singers, unless you're talking about crows. They're just gossips. Don't you always feel like crows are talking about you? God created sea creatures, spouting whales, frolicking dolphins, sharks, pufferfish, swordfish, crabs, lobsters, and the such. And he made them so it would clean up the sea. Who but God thought of land animals? From ants, I wish he hadn't thought of them. Rhinoceros, like really God? What are we supposed to do with this? Hippopotamus, giraffes, dinosaurs. Who but God? thought of all these different shapes and creatures, all with purposes and uniqueness. Who but God thought of man and woman and gave them eyes and cells and organs and systems and hearts and minds and the capacity to speak and sing and write and to create and to communicate and interact with God himself. We learn that God is caring. He saw man's loneliness and he wanted man to know relationship. And so he made a helpmate comparable to him. We learn that God is not a chauvinist, but God is for women. Because the apex of his creation is And to quote Adam, whoa, man, the apex, the last. He looked over all of creation and said, it's not good. There's something missing. And that was woman. And he crowned creation with a woman. 
because creation without woman was incomplete and not good. He formed her from Adam's side, taking a rib out of Adam's side. And this reminds us of Jesus on the cross in John 19, 34, that he was pierced from the side so his blood might be spilled out for his bride. Giving and gaining trust can be difficult. We have hurt and pain in our lives that makes us cautious to trust. That's understandable. One of the main reasons we struggle with trust is because we don't know our God. We don't know the goodness of God and His faithfulness. We may have forgotten the power of God that works in our lives. We may not understand how deeply God loves us. Trust starts with knowing God. God is near and desires a close relationship with us. We were made by God and for God, and He wants us to trust Him so we can know Him and experience the fullness of His love. We hope you have been blessed by today's Bible study. For more information about the Gracious Words radio program and the teaching ministry of Cheryl Broderson, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. Coming up next time on the Gracious Words program, we'll look further at trusting God as we continue our series, Our Great Creator, in the book of Genesis with Cheryl Broderson. We do hope you make plans to join us. Again, for more information, please visit our website at graciouswords.com. This program is sponsored by Calvary Chapel, Costa Mesa, California.